0: Alright, if you'll turn with me this morning, we'll be going to the book of Psalms, and uh, last week, kind of left off in Second Samuel, we've been preaching, I've been preaching in Second Samuel, with exception of course Father's Day and a few other Sundays since we uh, kind of Concluded our study of the book of Mark We've been in Second Samuel Really it's a study that began in 1 Samuel In the evening services uh, Last year And I plan to Transition it back to the evening service Starting tonight So if you've enjoyed the series in 2 Samuel I invite you to come out tonight And uh, be here for the Continuation of that as well as when I get back From vacation That's where I plan to have 2 Samuel's in the evening service Um, This morning, though, I'm very much picking up with where we left off last week in 2 Samuel, even though I'm in Psalm 3. Because if you were to look at Psalm 3 in your Bible, you'd find that this is a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So what was going on that we spoke of last week in 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 16 what was going on externally, we looked at last week. Now we're going to look at a little bit more what's going on internally with David. We saw last week that uh, there, between the conflict of Absalom and David, we saw different characters, different people in that historical account given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded for us to learn from. We saw different. Individuals responding in different ways. You know, Absalom was trying to usurp David's throne out of his own selfish ambition. Perhaps believing that he would be passed up, passed by to become the next king, that someone else would be chosen. Indeed, David will pass up even Absalom's younger brother to make Solomon the next king. And so he tries to usurp the throne. David shows a little bit of weakness by letting him get to that point. But David is loyal to his people. And to prevent a siege of Jerusalem, he left Jerusalem. He fled with those who were loyal to him and his household and his family. And there were a number of individuals that showed their loyalty to God by their loyalty to the man God had anointed to be their king, David. We did see, however, some other individuals responding, like Ahithophel. We'll look at him tonight and his advice being ignored. Uh, Ahithophel was one who seemed perhaps acting out of revenge, wanted to go from being David's counselor to being Absalom's counselor. And then we saw Zeba, who pretended to be loyal to David, but he was out for his own ends, telling a lie about Mephibosheth. Uh, who he said was trying to take over the kingdom for himself. In the line of Saul, we saw a character who cursed David last week. As David left Jerusalem, this Benjaminite was a, a, a relative, or at least in the tribe, of Saul and felt that David was getting what he deserved for taking Saul's spot as the king. And as David leaves, as he goes through all these things, and he's in exile, he's not in Jerusalem now, Absalom is taking over and establishing himself as the king for the moment. David pens this psalm, Psalm chapter 3. And in Psalm chapter 3, we find... David's testimony of having confidence in God, not only to survive, but to thrive. And we see this in the three elements that we find here in Psalm chapter 3. We'll be looking at those one at a time. Let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for each one here. We pray that you speak through your word now in Psalm chapter 3, as well as some of our references that we'll refer to throughout this message that you would speak plainly and clearly to our lives through your word and through me now, we pray. For your glory, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The first element we'll look at in Psalm chapter 3 is the perception of this difficult situation. Of course, in David's case, the difficult situation is that Absalom is now taking over his throne. And his life is in danger. We'll see tonight how if Absalom had just taken the good advice, the secular good advice, we would say, not godly advice, but good advice speaking from man's point of view, he would have simply followed David right away, killed David, brought everybody back in and said, hey, I'm the king now, your, your loyalty to David is forgiven, David's dead now, I am the king. But Absalom doesn't do that by the grace of God. God defeats that counsel that he, Absalom has given through the counsel of another man who's loyal to David. We'll look at that tonight. But David's life is in danger here. And as he flees Jerusalem, there's a perception of this difficult situation, of this challenge in his life, of this threat to his life. And that perception is that there is this seemingly great and insurmountable challenge to David that everyone is rising up against him. Look at verse 1 of Psalm chapter 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise against me. Many are they be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Say, la. So notice that many are rising up. They are increased that trouble me. They are many that rise up against me, many they be which say of my soul. At this point, remember what we looked at last week in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. Absalom is one of the many rising up against David, and he's turned the hearts of Israel to him rather than David. You know, He pointed out, he stood in the gates and said, if anyone has something that you want to speak to the king, come speak to me. I'll take your case. There's no one else that will represent you as well as I will. I'll make sure you get a favorable conclusion to your case. And he stole the hearts of Israel. And then we had Ahithophel, who had been a trusted counselor of David, who turns from David to support Absalom. We mentioned he was also Bathsheba's grandfather. Maybe he feels that Bathsheba was shamed by that whole situation that, that da- when David had sinned, had, had her husband killed, and maybe he is out for revenge. But in any, in any case, he chooses Absalom over David and gives his support to David uh, Absalom instead of David. And counsels, very good counsel that fulfills, well, not good as in godly counsel, but good as in wise counsel, Counsel that fulfills what Nathan the prophet had told David. Nathan told David, you, back in uh, 2 Samuel 12, you have done this thing with Bathsheba secretly. I will do it openly before all Israel. And as we saw at the end of 2 Samuel 16 last week, taking a counsel, council, Absalom established himself and shamed David in front of uh, all his people. With his, by taking David's concubines. And uh, Ziba is another one who rose up last week that we looked at in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Ziba said he was loyal to David, but really he presents another problem to David because he presents a problem that David will have to deal with later, which is he tells a lie to David. David believes that lie, believing that Ziba is loyal to him. The lie is, Ziba says, Mephibosheth, who you took in out of your loyalty to your best friend Jonathan, who has passed away, and you're honoring your covenant, your agreement with Jonathan, to take care, to have a, a league, to have a covenant with Jonathan and his descendants, And you're taking Mephibosheth, who's lame, into your household. You're providing him with land. Well, he is rising up against you, taking advantage of the situation with Absalom, and he's trying to become the new king. That was Ziba's lie. And so Ziba is going to get some of Mephibosheth's land, all of it to start with. So Ziba rises up and uh, brings trouble. He's saying Mephibosheth is bringing the trouble. So at this point, when David writes the psalm, maybe he believes it's Mephibosheth that's rising up his best son, his best friend's son, who he took in. At this point, when he's writing the psalm, he may think that he is against him. Many are rising up against him. Shimei is another one, a descendant of Saul. We looked at in uh, chapter 16 last week. He's the guy we felt like had a death wish, because he is throwing stones and cursing David and his men, his armed men, And indeed, one of the men loyal to David, Joab's brother, Abishai, says, let me take my sword and remove his head. Silence him permanently. And David says, no, the Lord has told him to say these things. I deserve these things to be said about me. It's true that I'm a bloody man. Not for the reason that Shimei was saying. Shimei was saying, you're a bloody man because you've taken the kingdom from the house of Saul. When David had nothing to do with Saul's death or Jonathan's death or even Saul's son who sat on the throne under Abner's leadership of the northern tribes of Israel and was assassinated. David had nothing to do with that, even executed the assassins in that case. And yet he's being blamed for that by Shimei. And Shimei is saying, see, this is what you deserve. You deserve to be, uh, you deserve to be overthrown by your son, just like you overthrew the house of Saul. And that's not true. But David recognized, yes, I am a bloody man. I do deserve this for other reasons. Namely, what he did to Bathsheba's husband. Arrange his death. And so David recognizes this. This is the consequences that Nathan spoke of. That the sword would not depart from his house. It already came to his house when his son Ammon had been killed by Absalom. And it continues now with Absalom trying to take his throne. But David is not going to stop with this perception. Okay. This perception at looking at the external factors that we've described here is that everyone is rising up against David. Now, there are some that are loyal to him, but it seems that there are a host of adversaries rising up against David. He's had to flee his capital city, leaving his palace behind for his own son to steal from him. And that's just the first part of this outward perception. The second part gets worse. Not only are there all these foes rising up against David, but look in verse 2. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. And that word Selah may mean stop, think about this. Listen to that again. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Of course, that's not true. And David's going to go on to recognize that in the following verses. But that's the outward perception that some people are saying of David, there's no help for David. He's done for. God has forsaken him. He is being replaced by his own son Absalom, taking his throne, taking his palace, taking his wives, taking his people, his kingdom. The people that used to be loyal to him are no more. Loyal to him. Well, there are some that are. But that, the perception is everyone's turning against, the tide is going away from you. That's the perception. And sometimes things in our lives can arise where it seems that everything is going against us. So, um, believers, not just unbelievers, have struggles. Some with physical sufferings, diseases, and handicaps. That God may not remove. Paul is a good example of this, if you'll turn with me as a cross reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we could name Christians who have had uh, sufferings for Christ that God allowed them to. To go through. We think of Corey Ten Boom going through concentration camp. Think of Johnny Erickson Tata uh, suffering her paralysis from the neck down. And they, they were Christians who were faithful to God, but they suffered those physical and emotional difficult situations in their life. Paul had one. We're not exactly sure what it is, but he refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as a thorn in the flesh. Many believe it was his eyesight failing. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted, says Paul, above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. So it seems to be a physical pain, a physical suffering, a difficult situation certainly in his life. The messenger of Satan. So even this something physical can become a spiritual attack by the devil. Even a physical ailment, a physical pain. And many in here have had those type of attacks in recent months. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And this was a similar situation to what's happening to David. Certainly different. Paul from really didn't do anything to deserve this thorn in the flesh. He would admit that he was unworthy to be used of God in this way, having persecuted the church in his past. But at this point in his life, he's faithfully serving the Lord as a missionary, and as an apostle, as a church planner, as an author of epistles that would become a great part of the New Testament, and yet he suffers from that thorn in the flesh that God does not remove from him. And sometimes difficult situations come into our lives that God allows us to have, whether they're brought on as consequences for a sin, as in David's case, or or not, as in the case of Job in the Old Testament, who did nothing to deserve the trials that he went through, And his friends actually turned against him and said, you know, there must be something in your life. There must be some sin in your life that is bringing these terrible trials and suffering where Job lost his possessions. He lost his children and he lost his health. God would eventually return all those things to him. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes the things that we lose stay lost. And so Paul's thorn in the flesh apparently, is never removed. David will be restored. But whether or not that happens, whether God chooses to make it a temporary affliction or a permanent one, God has a reason. God has a purpose for allowing it, and ultimately, it's to bring glory to Him. It's allow Him to be strong in our lives through that weakness. We'll come back to how God does that in David's life a little further on. But sometimes situations come into our life, whether for discipline or just for God's glory in our life that are difficult, that we must face, as David is facing here in his situation with Absalom. The second element that we'll look at in Psalm chapter 3 this morning is the reality of the difficult situation. The first element we looked at in this psalm was the perception of, of the difficult situation. The perception was, everything's going against David. Everybody's rising against David and there's no help from God for David. That's the perception, but the reality of the difficult situation is this. God is protecting David and he will help David to survive this difficult situation as he does for us as well. Look at verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. A shield. Speaking of the protection of God, who shields us from the attacks of the devil, from the difficult situations, not always keeping us from entering difficult situations or pains or sufferings or trials, not keeping us from experiencing those, but helping us to survive them, to endure them, and to grow through them and to give glory to God, that in our weakness, he is strong. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory. So what David has to glory in is not his own accomplishments, but what God is doing in his life. And sometimes the difficult situations remind us of that. When things are easy, it can be more of a temptation to say, look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. David could look around his kingdom and say, look at this City that I have built as our capital. I established Jerusalem as the capital. I am planning for the, building, the future building of the temple under my son, the next king. And look at all the peace that I am bringing. And our enemies respect us. And our borders are greater than ever before. Look what I have accomplished. And I, I don't see that David did that. But that temptation, if it's there, is removed because now it's seen that God is the one who has provided for this situation, the good situation that was there. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We don't deserve the good things that we have in our lives. We do deserve the, the, the bad It's part of the curse of sin in our life. And we're all sinners. We all experience the curse of sin on this earth. The good, every good thing is from God. So he is David's glory, he says in verse 3. He is my shield, he's my protection, and he's my glory. And the lifter up of mine head. And that phrase, lifter up of my head in verse 3, is not referring to lift your head up, keep your head up, be encouraged. It's not referring to that emotional encouragement type, but victory. The lifter up of my head. In other words, in this situation, David is already trusting God. We saw that last week in 2 Samuel. Let's go to Second Samuel and look back at one of the passages we looked at last week. Second Samuel 15, verses 25 and 26. "David is trusting God to make the best of the situation. The lifter up of mine head means, God is the one who will give me victory." Second Samuel, 15. Second Samuel 15. Verse 25 and 26 says, I think I'm looking at the wrong verse. Let me go down and find the right one. No, I am at the right one. Here we go. Verse 25 And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city, if I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, if I shall find favor, says David. In the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. So David saying, If it's God's will, God will give me the victory over Absalom. He will return me to Jerusalem as the king, if it be God's will. We see that echoed in David's response at the end, or should we say the middle of chapter 16, where David answers Abishai, who's loyal to him, and wants to kill Shimei, who's cursing David. Verse 11, verse 11 of chapter 16 in Second Samuel says, And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing on this day. Going back now to Psalm chapter 3, this gives some of the context that we looked at, having looked at Second Samuel last week, and referring back to it briefly here, gives the context for what David is thinking about, what he has in mind, the key to understanding this psalm, Psalm chapter 3. And David will be helped by God. God will help him. The perception is that there is no help for David, that God is not going to help him, but the reality is God has preserved him thus far in his life. David was preserved in the past when he faced Goliath. He was preserved in the past when Saul sought David's life and was not able to take it. And David has been the king these years because of the grace of God. God is his glory. He is the lifter up of David's head. That is what David is recognizing here. And he is trusting God to provide for that future. He he can look back at the past and say, God is my glory, and lift up my head, and he can look to the future and say the same words. In verse 5, verse 4, verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. The reality in this difficult situation is that David can take his difficult situation with Absalom to God in prayer, knowing that God will hear him and answer. That God is in control. God has protected and provided for him thus far and he can take his request specifically to God and appeal to the Lord for help. And if it is God's will, God will intervene and restore David. Verse 5 speaks of that confidence that David has. I will not Verse 5 says, I laid me down and slept, and I awake, and the Lord sustained me. In other words, God provided for him. We can trust that when we face difficult situations in our lives, God will preserve and provide supporters for us as he did for David. Turn over to Romans 8 as a reference. Let's look at Romans 8. Verses 31 through 39. Romans 8, starting at verse 31. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, Jesus, but delivered him up for us all, Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can have the confidence like David had that when we face difficult situations, whatever they may be in our lives, like David did with Absalom and with many people turning against him in that situation, that God loved us. He loved us so much. What better could illustrate that than Christ dying for us? If Christ died for us and God loved us so much, how much more is he able to provide for us in the what is compared to our salvation and eternal security in christ a small thing to illustrate this further let's go to matthew chapter seven matthew chapter seven in christ's sermon on the mount he speaks of asking as david does in his prayer that where he he says i cried unto the lord verse four with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill We can have that same assurance that David had, that God hears us when we pray. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Matthew 7, starting at verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom his son if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we're reminded there. That when we ask, we can ask with confidence, knowing that God is good. He's going to do what is best, whether that's allowing the difficult situation to continue and allowing His strength to be seen in our weakness, that He is providing and protecting us even through that difficult situation in our life. Or if He chooses to remove that and to provide, to take that away, as He will with David. As He will with David. we'll see... Uh, More on that tonight, where David is going to be restored to his kingdom, and Absalom will lose. Let's now go to the third element of Psalm chapter 3. We've looked at the perception of the difficult situation. We've looked at the reality of it, which is that God does care, that he is Shielding and He is our glory, He is the lifter up of my head. But now we're going to look at the third element, which is that we can have confidence in God to save and to bless through a difficult situation. To save and to bless, in other words, that we can not just survive, but we can also thrive, even through, even after and even in the middle of a difficult situation. Let's start with verse 6, which speaks of this confidence. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people that have set themselves against me round about. Knowing the reality of difficult situations that we face can cause us to be afraid because of the perception of that reality, the perception that everything's against us. But the reality is, again, when we recognize the reality that God is protecting us, God will provide us, God hears us when we cry out to Him, as David does in this situation, we can have confidence knowing that God is in control and God can and will answer us. And David knows Absalom, his cause is not right. He, Absalom's not a godly man. David is. David's had his faults for which he is paying for still in this situation. But when you compare the two, Absalom and David, Absalom is the ungodly man. David is the godly man. So God is going to ultimately come to David's rescue. He's ultimately going to provide for David. And he's going to punish Absalom. Absalom was not in the right, and because his cause is just, David has all the more confidence that God will answer and provide in this situation, that he will hear, and he will protect David, he will preserve him, he will answer his request. Look at verse 7 as we see him build upon this confidence of him not being afraid of those gathering against him of his life being in danger look at verse 7 arise O Lord save me O my God for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone and thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly and to be smote on the cheekbone of course that is the place that will inflict the most pain and the most insult a slap across the face so David's saying rebuke them slap them across the face um which is not usually the way we're supposed to pray, by the way. Okay, we're, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. But David in this is, is praying very specifically here for God to intervene on his behalf because he's being attacked by ungodly people, people who are out for their own selfish ambition or revenge, and they're trying to usurp his throne. And he knows that Absalom will not make a good king of Israel. And David's going to pick very carefully when it comes time to pass his throne down to one of his sons, he's going to bypass Absalom's younger brother who is the oldest remaining heir and assumes that he'll get the throne. He bypasses that man, Adonijah, as we'll see when we continue our study in 2 Samuel, and he picks Solomon instead. So David has this confidence that his enemy, Solomon, Absalom, excuse me, and Absalom's supporters are in the wrong. And because they're in the wrong, David believes God will intervene. He will punish them and he will restore David. He will save David. He will preserve him. And verse 8, as we get to verse 8, I believe is speaking not just to the fact that David will be preserved, that he will be rescued, that he'll be saved, his life will be spared, and he'll be restored to his kingdom, but also. That David will be blessed. We see two parts in verse 8. Salvation, referring to David being preserved. David is going to survive. That's the salvation here. This salvation is not speaking, of course, of our spiritual salvation through Jesus on the cross, but this physical salvation of David, he's going to be spared, he's going to be saved, he's going to survive. Verse 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord, and then furthermore, thy blessing is upon thy people. So not only is David looking for salvation from this difficult situation, not only is he looking to survive, he's looking to thrive, to be blessed by God. Sometimes in our lives, when we meet a difficult situation, we go into a survival mode where we're just focused on getting through. You know, for the last few years, uh, this church, I think, went into a survival mode, just trying to survive. But, you know, God, His plan for us is not just to survive, but to thrive, to grow, to be what God wants us to be for Him. To get on His plan and His vision and to reproduce ourselves to grow to reach out and really have a ministry and touch people's lives you know for the past few months or at least the past few weeks as your as your pastor i've been almost in a survival mode coming to the end of the school year being very busy just trying to get through just trying to survive definitely as a teacher i've been in survival mode just getting to that point where the where my boss finally says okay we'll give you one more shot for next year because I was so, so overwhelmed by all the responsibilities I had there this year uh, as athletic director and as a teacher and just keeping up on top of everything, um, including communicating with parents and everything that you have to do. And I have, When you have uh, uh, 65, I started with 72 students, 65 students, a lot of parents to keep up with, a lot of, a lot of things to keep up with. Um, and so sometimes when you get busy or when you get into a difficult situation, you can go into survival mode. But we don't want to stay in that survival mode. We don't just want God to rescue us from that difficult situation. We want to thrive. And that's what's going to happen for David. That's what's going to happen for David. When he goes into this difficult situation, let's think back to where he had been. Okay, God had really worked in a wonderful way in his life in the past. We, we mentioned Goliath earlier. We mentioned Saul earlier and David becoming out of that difficult situation. We looked at that in our study of 1 Samuel, of Saul's consistent pursuit of David. David wrote some of the Psalms with those in mind, those difficult circumstances. But then when David had gone on and been blessed, he had not just been preserved. He had not just been, he had not just survived those difficult situations. He had been thriving. And as I mentioned, he wanted to build a temple for God. And God was pleased with that desire, but he said, No, you know, your son will, you can prepare it, but you won't build it. David had brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He had restored, you know, the tabernacle being set up there, or or at least a tent for for the Ark of the Covenant. And yet he had begun to not be thriving anymore. When he entered his sin with Bathsheba, of course, he wasn't thriving in his walk with God anymore. When he allowed Ammon you know, to rape his sister, because you know, had, David had multiple wives, one son. Okay. And then uh, Absalom, being the brother, full brother of that daughter, killed Ab- Ammon. And David didn't deal with that effectively as well. He allowed these things to happen in his household. He allowed Absalom to gain power to the point where he had to leave. So David was not thriving anymore. But when David came back, he's not just going to survive Absalom. He's going to begin thriving, I I believe, because I think you can see the evidence of that with Solomon. With his older sons, Absalom, Adonijah, Ammon, the ones we have named in the scripture, we see how his older sons didn't turn out very well. And I think that's a, that's a point where perhaps David was just busy fighting wars and surviving at that point in his life, just going through the, the daily busyness of leading his country as the king, and he wasn't thriving anymore at that point in his life. But when he gets back after Absalom, something's different when Solomon becomes king because Solomon... Loves the Lord in such a way that God is going to come to Solomon and offer Solomon anything that he chooses. And Solomon chooses wisdom. He chooses wisely. Asks for wisdom from God. What influenced him to get to that point in his walk with God? I believe it was David spending time with Solomon, raising Solomon the way he should have raised his other sons. I believe David, when he comes back having written this psalm here, Psalm chapter 3. I believe David goes back to a point where he's not just surviving, he's thriving in his walk with God and his relationship with his family. We see evidence of this even in the book of Proverbs where Solomon is the main author. Solomon begins the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. He begins... With my son, hear the instruction of thy father. I believe David gave Solomon instruction. More so with Solomon, perhaps, than he did with his other sons. And that David gets back to a place of thriving. He's not going to be perfect. He's still going to make a a major mistake that we'll get to study in our study of 2 Samuel that will continue again in our evening services starting tonight. And we are invited to join us there. If you haven't been joining us for that Bible study on Sunday nights, we, enjoy, we would enjoy you coming out and joining us in that study. But I believe David is a good example of someone like all of us in our lives, in our marriages. You know, My wife and I are, are celebrating our sixth year of marriage and during the course of those six years there's times when you just go into survival mode and you get so busy you just have to get through we we moved from Arkansas where I was teaching when I when I felt called to go into the ministry went to seminary worked worked a job while going through seminary for three years and then went to teach full-time for a couple years and have come here and been teaching and serving as your pastor and have enjoyed it And there's always times that when you get so busy, you go into that survival mode, but that's not where God wants us to stay. He wants us to be blessed by him. He wants to bless us, but in order to be blessed, we have to be right with God. David couldn't be blessed when he was not right with God in his sin with Bathsheba, and he had to suffer the consequences for that. We want to be in a situation where God can bless us. We need to be right with God. In raising our children We don't want to just survive and see our children become adults We want to raise them well As David kind of fails to do with his Older sons But seems to succeed much more so with Solomon So let's remember When we go through Difficult situations in our life Let's remember the three elements of this Psalm in chapter 3 That there is A perception of the difficult situation Which is, it's insurmountable It's too much, it's too great for us We're not going to make it through this. That's the perception, but that's not the reality. The reality is that God is in control. God will protect you. He'll provide for you. He'll help you survive, and not just survive, but to thrive. And and so that is the confidence that we need to have, is that knowing the reality versus the perception of the trouble in our life or difficult situations or challenges in our life, let's have the confidence in God that He will help us to survive, yes, but also wants us to get to that place where we're thriving in our walk with Him, in our relationship with our family, in our neighbors, in our friends, in our church, in our ministry for God, our work for God. But to to come to that point in our life where we are thriving, to be coming always back to that when we go through difficult situations, remember the first part is we have to be right with God, and the first step to be right with God is to answer His call. To be someone who loves God. Romans 8.28 tells us, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are called according to His purpose. In order for that promise to apply to us, we have to be someone who loves God. So, ask yourself this morning. Do I love God? And am I called according to his purpose? The first step, of course, of answering that call is to put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and then after that to follow Christ in our daily lives. Let's bow for prayer.